We welcome the radio audience to our Bible study as the radio Bible class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message of how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio and Twitter with the message that Jesus is alive today. Today's lesson is titled, Killing Hostilities, and we pick back up in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Perhaps the most famous wall ever built was the Berlin Wall, constructed on August 13, 1961. It's 25 miles long. It was erected in the heart of a divided city, but it was really just a small part of a much larger wall called the Iron Curtain. Now, the Berlin Wall symbolizes the separation of the East from the West. You know, it's threatening barbed wire at the top and its steel roots running down into the sewers. It's made up of concrete segments with a height of 11 feet. Usually, uh, a concrete tube runs across the top. Behind that, there was an illuminated control area, also called the death area. The refugees who reached that area would be shot without warning. Beyond that was a trench that followed and should prevent vehicles from being able to break through. And then there was the patrol track, a corridor with watchdogs and watchtowers and bunkers, and then even a second wall. Now, over 100 people were killed at the Berlin Wall, but millions of people rejoiced when that wall came down on November 9, 1989. Now, another famous wall is the Great Wall of China. It's more than 2,000 years old, but it remains one of the great wonders of the world, stretching 4,500 miles from the mountains of Korea to the Gobi Desert. It was first built to protect the ancient Chinese empire from tribes coming down from the north, but it became a symbol of Chinese ingenuity and will. And, of course, there's the Bible, and it speaks of a famous wall the wall of Jericho. And if you remember, Joshua marched the people around, people of Israel around that wall seven times, and they blew their horns and that wall fell. Paul addresses a wall that we as Christians need to listen to closely, build up a wall of hostility or prejudice that we have no part that we should be taking in. As Christians, we should not have this wall, and we'll see how Paul talks about that. But before I get into the text, just like before, we'll be on every Sunday morning at 9.05, right after the ABC News, and then we'll have rebroadcast at 4 p.m. and 10 p.m. on Sunday and 2 p.m. on Wednesday. Now, we invite your comments regarding the Radio Bible Class. You can write us at the Radio Bible Class P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304, or you can email us your comments or any questions you may have as we go through this study. And you can email us at rbc at wmerworldwide.com, rbc at wmerworldwide.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're always posting out things. You can follow us at Radio Bible Class, or you can follow me personally at tcarter12, or you can follow the radio station at wmerworldwide. If you'd like a copy of a previous lesson, just let us know, and we'll be glad to send it to you. Christian Radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the radio Bible class on the air as a witness for Jesus. You can send your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. 
Jesus says in Luke 6.38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, running over. Now finally, we want to send you a free copy of Signpost on the Road to Armageddon, which is available by a request, tweeting us, or emailing us, or you can call the recorded line at 601-207-1391. That's 601-207-1391. In today's passage, Paul's primary reference is to a five-foot high wall between the court of Gentiles and the court of women in the temple at Jerusalem. There was other courts, but this was the two outer courts. And there was this court of Gentiles that only the Gentiles could go to. And it was even further out than the court of women. And on the wall appeared uh, a repeated inscription to the Gentiles warning them if they were to go deeper into the temple precincts. If they did, they would have only themselves to think for their death, which would happen. Now, the walls represent the prejudice, which was a burning issue between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was no love loss between these two groups of people. There was such contempt for the Gentiles from the Jews that there were many Jewish laws against them. For example, a Jewish person could not offer aid to a Gentile woman, even if she was in childbirth and desperately needed help. To enter a Gentile house rendered a Jew ceremonially unclean. A marriage of a Jew to a Gentile was equal to death. They actually had a funeral service for the Jewish people who married a Gentile. Now, Bible commentator F.F. Bruce says, No iron curtain, no color bar, no national distinction or frontier of today is more absolute than the cleavage between the Jew and the Gentile. In fact, the miracle of the New Testament was the inclusion of the Gentiles into Christianity and that they were allowed to be saved. And Paul makes this bold statement that Jesus came into the world to tear down just such walls of hostility. So let's dive into the text today. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinance, that he might create in himself a new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
This is a powerful passage of Scripture. It is interesting that this passage of Scripture is so clear on the subject of prejudice. This is one of the clearest passages in all the Bible, and it says in no uncertain term that prejudice is wrong in the sight of God. It seems in every society there's someone to be prejudiced against. As I grew up in Mississippi, I thought the only prejudice there could be was the one between whites and blacks. But then I learned that in Oklahoma, many more were prejudiced against the Indians than were against blacks. And in South Texas, there was an intense prejudice against Mexicans. And in Florida, there's a prejudice against Cubans. After September 11, 2001, many people turned to hating the Muslims. In almost every culture, there is someone to be prejudiced against. We should make no mistake about it. It is wrong for the Jews to hate the Gentiles. It is wrong for people in Oklahoma to hate the Indians. It is wrong for people in Texas to hate the Mexicans. And it's wrong for the South to hate blacks. It's wrong for the Christians to hate the Muslims and for the Muslims to hate Christians. But how do we go about bringing this peace between the races that Paul describes? Well, first, Paul shows us that we must remember where we came from. So let's look back at verse 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by the hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of the promise, having, the, having no hope, and without God in the world. Paul says, you Gentiles, you were lost and separated from Christ. He addresses the Jews in just a little bit, but here he's saying to the Gentiles, you were lost without Christ. The Jews were too, but we'll talk about them in a minute. See, we're born into sin. We don't sin, and that separates us from Christ. We are born into sin. See, it doesn't matter how nice of a person you are. It doesn't matter what ethnic background you're from. It doesn't matter how much money you have. All of us are born into the sin. See, Adam and Eve committed the first sin, and now we're all born into sin. We're all sinners. And that's what Paul means when he says in verse 12 that we were separated from Christ. Because of that sin, there's a chasm we can't overcome. We have to accept the finished work of the cross to overcome that chasm. We're separated from Christ. He also says, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promises. See, Gentiles weren't born as part of the chosen people like the Jews. See, he's really not talking so much about a physical family here, but he's really talking about the body of Christ. And he also says that we were unaware of the covenants. We had no idea of the covenants that was between the Jews and God. And we had no hope. That describes us. We have no hope. The sin in our life, we have no hope without God in this world. That is everyone's true spiritual state. Jew or Gentile, we are born into sin having no hope. Now Colossians takes it one step further in chapter 1 verse 21 and says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. So we need to understand that we were alienated, we were separated, and we were doing hostile deeds against God. See, we were lost. Have you ever been lost? I can tell you about a story one time I was hunting, and I thought I knew where I was. And as the sun went down, I decided I better head back to the truck. And as I started walking, I thought I was going the right way. And I saw this piece of tin over by a tree. 
and I kept walking, and in a few minutes, guess what? I saw that same piece of tin again. And so I'm like, okay, slow down, calm down. And then as I walked a little further, uh, next thing I know, here's that same piece of tin again. See, I was lost. I didn't know. I knew that how to get out, I thought, but I kept turning and not realizing I'm turning, and I was not on the right path. I was lost. The Bible says we're the same way. We're separated. We are lost. Now look back at verse 11, called uncircumcised by what is called circumcised, made in the flesh by hand. See, Paul is referring to these Gentiles as uncircumcised. And the Jewish people who were viciously rebuked the Gentiles as circumcised or the Jewish people. Now, God originally gave the idea of circumcision to Abraham as an outward sign of acceptance of his covenant. However, with the new covenant and Christ's death and his burial and resurrection, it's clear that God no longer is after a physical effect of circumcision, but requires a circumcision of the heart that all people, both Jew and Gentile, can experience that. So look at Romans 2, 28 and 29. Romans 2, 28 29 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. See, so it doesn't God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside. He looks at the heart. And if you're not circumcised by the heart, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ, you are lost, you are dead. It doesn't matter if we're circumcised or uncircumcised. We still face the judgment of God. Paul is driving home in verse 11 and 12, our alienation before God. See, there was nothing we could do to overcome that separation from God. No amount of money, no physical changes, we can't be good enough. We are lost without Christ. Now, when we remember who we were before Christ, it keeps us humble. And that's what Paul is showing in these first few verses. And it stops our prejudice when we understand what we've come from. And we understand what God has done in us. See, it grows us in God's love and it magnifies his transforming grace. Now, let's dive into verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now here he says, this is what really matters. Though you once were apart from God, and though you once were apart from Christ, and though you once had no assurance of God's promises, and though you once did not share in the blessed hope, and though you once did not know God, now in Jesus Christ, you've been brought near by his blood. By trusting in Jesus Christ, you've been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, the finished work on the cross. Now Paul's message is not that Christ has brought all Gentiles near to him, but that Christ has brought all who trust in him near to God. All those who have faith in him, all those who have been converted by the saving work of the Holy Spirit have been brought near. The only thing that can take a hard heart and make it soft is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is a part of the reconciliation process. Jesus shedding his blood on the cross is a gift we must accept for that reconciliation. See, the reconciliation process is we were separated. We were lost. We were hard-hearted. We were in this dark spirit, and we had no way of saving ourselves. But the blood of Jesus Christ... We are being brought near to God through that, through our saving faith, 
through the salvation comes and we receive Jesus Christ and all of a sudden this peace flows into our life. And people talk about how they feel different. Now let's look at that peace. So look back at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his flesh and the dividing walls of hostility. It says it right there in the first part of the verse 14. Christ is our peace. Paul starts with a definition of what true peace really is. See, true peace is oneness. It's not just the absence of conflict. It means being one. Paul is talking to and about the Jews here. See, he's saying he made us both one. The Jews thought that they were better because they were God's chosen people. But Paul is saying he's made both of us the same. Paul makes the bold statement that Jesus came into the world to tear down just these prejudice walls or the walls of hostility. One of the most effective lies that Satan uses on Christians is the idea that certain groups are more spiritually mature or better. See, few people would ever openly say, I'm a better Christian than you, but it's through their belief statements and their actions that others see their superior attitude. Now, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, People are without understanding when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another. For the sake of our relationship with God, for the sake of our relationship with others, and for the sake of our spiritual growth, we have to stop playing the comparison game. See, God does not grade on a curve. Your standing with Him has absolutely nothing to do with how you measure up against someone else. It's what happened in your heart. Now also look at that word in verse 14 that says both. It refers to the Jews and the Gentiles and the destruction of the wall of hostility between them. See, Christ is the peacemaker. We must remember that. Now let's also look at verse 16, because it also gets into that. Might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, we are not just reconciled to God because of Christ, but we are reconciled to each other also as one body, both Jew and Gentile. There are two dimensions in a Christian life. We've talked about this before. There's the vertical dimension, and that's the relationship between us and God. And that's our faith, and we have to believe in God. Then there's the second part of that, and that is the horizontal dimension. And that's the love between us and other Christians. And in the proper Christian relationship with God, you should have both of these. And both of these should be active and openly used. Look at verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through him, that's Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. At the heart of the gospel, the good news, we now have access to God. Now I'll take you back to Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. Then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and gave up his spirit. And just then the temple curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. See, the tearing of the veil or the curtain at the moment of Jesus' death symbolizes that his sacrifice, the shedding of his own blood, was sufficient atonement for our sin. It signifies that now the way into the holies of holies was open to all people for all time, both Jew and Gentile. See, Hebrews 10, 19-20 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Access is granted to everyone. Jesus is the high priest, and as believers in his finished work on the cross, we are joined with Christ, and we can now enter the holies of holies through him. Through his death, we now have free access to God. You need to understand the power of salvation. God has done a major work in you. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church like me or you just recently started going to church. We're the same. We were in the same boat. We were sinners, and we were lost, and we've been saved. And we have a tendency to go back to that hostility and judge people and build up walls. That wall of sin is destroyed, and we can freely enter in now to God. Hebrews 14.6 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Hebrews is saying we don't come before the throne like wimps or feebly. We come before the throne with confidence. That confidence or boldness is not arrogance, or we don't really understand who we are or who God is, but we come that we may receive mercy and grace in a time of need. So everyone now has access to God. And with access to God, look at what Paul shows us in verse 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Paul restates our citizenship as believers. We are no longer strangers, aliens, but fellow citizens, saints, and members of the household of God. He shows us that the membership privileges of having access granted to God. See, we are citizens of heaven, so we're no longer foreigners, but we're saints. We've been marked and we've been sealed with a future destiny with Him. We have the privileges of being part of God's household. We have equality with our fellow believers. We have everything they have. Romans 8 says we are joint heirs with Christ. Then Paul writes some interesting words in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus being the cornerstone. The cornerstone is mentioned quite a bit in scriptures. I don't know if I've ever gone over this, but the cornerstone is the first stone of any building built back in those days. Nowadays, we start construction and you have site work done and then they come out and do the dirt work and move it around and level. And you have people come out with lasers and, and survey equipment and they site everything in and they build these forms that have perfect angles. They make sure everything is straight and true. Well, back in Paul's day, they didn't have all this. So when they built a building, most of the buildings back then were built with stone, not wood, because there really wasn't a lot of trees like we have in Mississippi. But before a building, they would get a mason who would find a large stone, and they would have that mason hewn it out. He would make it level, and then he would put a perfect 90-degree angle on that stone. And that stone would be the first stone that would be laid down. And from that stone, every stone would be laid. And it would have to be level. And even with the corners of that stone, it would have to be even. That would make the wall straight and level and not wavy. See, Paul is saying just as a house or building is built off the cornerstone with everything being level and true, every Christian, every church is built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know if your life is level and true, then base it on the life of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word. If you want to know if you're off the path, you go back to the Bible, His Word. 
If you want to know if your life is unlevel and out of balance, you seek the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation of each Christian in every church. Paul also points out the apostles and prophets being the foundation built around the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Now, why the apostles and prophets? In the Old Testament, the prophets were the voice of God. In the New Testament, the word apostle means messenger. They were the ones who heard from God and spoke to the people. It was a principle of God's word. And that's still true today. Today, you have men and women who hear from God and teach the people. And that principle is still true. We base everything on the word and the spirit. And we need to trust the men who teach us the word are hearing from God and being led by the Holy Spirit and leading the church in the direction that God would have for them to go. So what are they building? Look at verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows in the holy temple of the Lord. When I looked at this and I prepared for this, that word temple, you know, and I looked all at that. And finally, I decided that based on what I pulled together, that temple really means worship. Paul is talking about the whole structure. He's not talking about us as individuals. I mean, I know in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that our body is the temple of God. You know, we can, we can do a deeper dive into that. But really, he's talking about the whole structure. So he's talking about the collective body, a group of individuals needing to join together and grow into a holy temple. And how do we grow into that holy temple? We come together and we worship together, Jew and Gentile. See, there should be no reason for any member of the household of God to fear coming to the church, the body of believers, and being able to worship. Paul has been showing us that all of us are the same. The two have one spirit, and it's the same spirit. We can come together and we can worship Gentile and Jew. The world will take notice and the body will grow. See, God desires our worship. He desires us to give him glory. And when Jew and Gentile come together and give him glory, it will become a dwelling place for his spirit. Now, Paul says in verse 22, In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. See, God desires for us to be that church. Just like I said, when we come together, then his spirit's there. See, he wants us to be the church. Not a building, but the body of Christ, you know, where he's worshiped, where he can pour out his presence into each of us, a collective body. And once we understand that as a Christian, that other Christians aren't just guests or occasional visitors, but they are permanent members of the family. And they are the same as us, no matter what background they came from, what social group they identify with, what geographical area they may have lived in or what educational experience they may have. See, it's God's intention that His glory, His Spirit, be displayed in the body of Christ, the church. It is God's intention that His love for one another be seen in and through the body of believers, Jew and Gentile, and that His church is different from the world. See, today the world is very divided. And there is those prejudice, but he expects the church to show love and acceptance no matter what the background or what race or creed. His church is, is full of worship and full of his presence when we do that. And it should be where people that come in and they immediately would say, I could feel the presence of the Lord when I walked into this place. See, I challenge you this morning as we get ready to pray to see others as God sees you, as he sees them. We're the same. 
And so therefore, we should see others the same, and we should show the love that we would show to anyone. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for allowing us to have another day to wake up. Lord, we thank you for this new year, and Lord, that we start all things new uh, a lot of times in the new year. Lord, we just thank you for allowing us to do that. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son. Lord, that he is the finished work, that if we believe on him, that he overcomes that chasm that is between us, our separation, our alienation from you. But by his blood, we have access to you. The veil has been torn and we can now come to you. And Lord, he is the peace and he reconciles us and he gives us access and that we all are no longer strangers or foreigners, but we are household members of, of the house of God. And we can dwell there. And we can dwell with one another. And Lord, I pray that everyone would understand this message today. Lord, that we have the vertical relationship with you. But we, you, we also need that vertical relationship with one another. Lord, that you tell us. That love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. See, that shows the vertical and the horizontal. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we ask that you would let these words fall deep, and Lord, that they would become a work that would come out of us. Lord, that we would yield to you, and that we would work for you, and that you would work through us, and people would see you. We love you and we praise you and we'll give you all the honor and glory for it's in your name. Amen.